Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen most. If you're looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Thanks, guys. Uh, hello again. So uh, if anybody's listening or watching online, I am Colton Tatham, uh, Journey Bible Church's West Campus pastor. Um, and we're going to be continuing our sermon series uh, where we've been working through our church's mission, vision, and values. Um, our series is called All In, and we're just exploring our call to be the church. Uh, by way of review, hopefully you have this memorized by now, but our mission statement is we are journeying together, passionately following Jesus. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus made disciples who make disciples, so we want to be a disciple-making church, multiplying followers of Jesus Christ. Additionally, our vision statement is that we are a movement of Christ followers changing our community in the world. Uh, our vision is not just to serve people inside of this space or inside of the building. Um, we want to be a church that has a vision to see God's people go out into the community and out into the world and bring spiritual transformation through gospel proclamation. Now, in the last few sermons, we've been surveying our biblical values here at Journey Bible Church. Uh, we believe that when we faithfully practice these values, God uses our faithfulness to create the conditions for spiritual growth. Our ten values are this. Uh, there will be a quiz um, in the next uh, kind of ministry fellowship hour, so good luck. Just kidding. Um, I, I would probably have trouble remembering all ten of these uh, without my notes. So, but they're all very helpful, and they're all uh, just throughout the New Testament. Uh, value number one is that we are anchored in God's Word. Two, empowered by God's Spirit. Three, united in Christ. Four, unconditional in love. Five, relentless in prayer. Six, sacrificial in service. Seven, radical in generosity. Eight, intentional in discipleship. Nine, courageous engagement. And ten, urgent faithfulness. Now, last Sunday, you'll remember we looked at how our church's service and generosity must strive to surpass the world's standards for service and generosity. If the world serves by volunteering 50 hours a week a year, that is about one hour a week, and if the world gives 2.5% of its income to charities, then you know as the church, we have to exercise our faith to serve sacrificially and give radically if we want to effectively represent Jesus Christ as his ambassadors to the world. Now for this Sunday, we're going to focus in on our value of courageous engagement. And by this we mean we boldly engage our lost and broken world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Matt read for us Romans 1, 15 through 17, where Paul writes, I am eager to preach the gospel, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
When we talk of courageous engagement, we're talking of engaging others boldly, eagerly, and unashamedly. Again, in verse 16, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It stands to reason that if we want to be courageous, then one of the greatest threats to courage is shame. Someone who is not eager to preach the gospel, who might be cowardly to profess their faith, or who shrinks back from courageous engagement is someone who ultimately feels shame when they make the gospel of Jesus Christ public. What I'd like to do in this message is look at three aspects of shame that we must overcome if we want to boldly engage our lost and broken world with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I'd argue that the Apostle Peter is one of the boldest of the twelve disciples. So we're also going to look at how Peter battled his own shame to become more courageous for Jesus Christ. Now the first aspect of shame that we're going to look at is fear. Uh, One of the better New Testament examples of how shame is related to fear is, again, Jesus' disciple Peter. Peter insists that he will never betray Jesus, even unto death. However, on the night of Jesus' arrest and trial, Peter denies Jesus three times. He denies, at first, that he knows Jesus personally. Then he denies to someone who asked that he follows Jesus. Then he denies that he has any knowledge about Jesus circumstantially. When Peter realizes what he's done by the end of the night in just a few hours, he weeps, he's ashamed, he's sorry that he let his fear get the better of him. Uh, There's a pastor named Mark Dever who writes this, You and I cannot demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting all by ourselves on an island. No, we demonstrate it when the people we have committed to loving give us good reasons not to love them, but we do it anyway. He goes on to say, the church gives a visual presentation of the gospel when we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, when we commit to one another as Christ has committed to us, and when we lay down our lives for one another as Christ laid down his life for us. Together, we can display the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that we just can't by ourselves. Now, in military science, there's a term called a force multiplier. A force multiplier. A force multiplier refers to some sort of factor or factors that significantly enhance a weapon's effectiveness or the armed force's ability to accomplish its mission objective. When it comes to courageous engagement with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that God has provided several kinds of force multipliers. And as Mark Dever alludes to, one of the greatest force multipliers for courageous gospel proclamation is the church itself. 
If you want to be courageous, become eager, bold, and unashamed of your faith in public, then the force multiplier you need to use is the church. We overcome the fear of shame by working together in the church. Now imagine if Peter hadn't been alone. Imagine if the disciples hadn't scattered after Jesus' arrest. Fear drove them into isolation, and alone they lost their courage. Loner and wanderer are not adjectives that biblically represent the people of God. In Genesis 2, God declares, It is not good for man to be alone when speaking of marriage and family. In Ecclesiastes 4, the preacher says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out his 72 followers as witnesses two by two. In Matthew 18, Jesus says with respect to prayer, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. These scriptures and others in the Bible remind us that if we want to courageously engage a lost and broken world for Christ, then we ought to use one of the best force multipliers that we've been given and that is each other. I was watching a show called uh, The Blue Planet the other day. Has anybody seen that? It's a, a nature, aquatic nature documentary uh, produced by BBC Earth. Um, each episode kind of captures just these really, really cool um, images and videos of wildlife in the ocean. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to believe that what you're seeing is even real, and it really leads you to appreciate the majesty and the mystery of, you know, undersea life. Uh, in one episode, they featured a massive school of fish. Thousands upon thousands of small fish were swimming together in perfect unison uh, in this, like, synchronized swarm. At first, their pattern seemed erratic as they were kind of like feeding off this plankton in the water. But as soon as they sensed a threat getting nearer, each individual fish instinctively started swimming in the current of the one in front of it. Within seconds, the school of fish formed these terrifying underwater cyclones and spheres much larger than any of the predators that were hunting them. The documentary demonstrated that even a powerless fish could become powerful enough to scare off larger hunters when they worked together with the others. Entire schools of small fish can survive predators that they would have no chance of surviving if the fish scattered and swam all alone. All in all, even God's creation shows us that we are stronger and more courageous together than we are apart. Whether it's the biblical pattern of two being better than one, or it's God's general revelation in nature, we learn being courageous doesn't mean swimming alone. 
being courageous doesn't mean swimming alone. It's really the opposite message that the world gives us. Being courageous is using every gift that God gives you to confront the obstacles that you face. That includes the church and other followers of Jesus. Being foolish is tossing aside God's gifts and confronting the obstacles all alone and by yourself. One of the great deceptions that many Christians believe is that they have to be a witness or a missionary or an evangelist or a church planter or a disciple maker or a Christian, all of the above. They have to be all of the above, all alone, all the time. And then they get frustrated when they don't see God giving the work of their labor any growth. But this is because when you work all alone, you're relying on your own willpower to get things done rather than the collective spiritual strength of everybody, the church. You're failing to use one of the most powerful force multipliers for spiritual transformation that God gives, the church. Imagine if you knew every neighbor of yours who was a Christian and who wasn't. Imagine if you knew every coworker of yours, which ones were Christians. Imagine if you knew which students and teachers at school were Christians. Imagine if you knew which parents on your kids' sports teams were Christians. If this were the case, if you knew who Christians were in these circles and networks, do you think you'd maybe feel a little more courageous to speak up about your faith in Christ in public? I think I would. The truth in America is that there are still many, many people all throughout our nation and our city who do believe in Jesus and who do follow Jesus. But the great weapon of the enemy is that we don't know who they are. And we don't know who they are because we don't ask. It leaves us feeling scattered, isolated, and alone. And it leaves us like Peter, afraid and discouraged. When a predator like a shark, attacks a school of fish, it tries to disrupt, disorient, and divide the school. It knows that it cannot withstand the entire school, so it attempts to chase fish out of the school. So once a fish gets disrupted, disoriented and divided from the school, once a fish is swimming all alone, it's all over. That lonely fish gets swallowed up by the shark. A courageous, a courageous follower of Jesus does not swim alone. A foolish follower of Jesus tries to swim alone. If you want to overcome the fear of shame, don't tell yourself to just be braver. That's kind of what Peter did. I won't deny you, Jesus, but Jesus told him that it wasn't going to work. Instead, ask yourself this, who are you swimming with that you're not seeing? Who are you swimming with in the places that you work, play, live that you're not seeing? 
I hope that here on Sunday mornings, um, you see that there are a lot of other Christ followers uh, around us. Uh, We get to represent the unity of Christ in this building by gathering here today. Um, But many of us don't work the same jobs, go to the same schools, or always see each other in public spaces. And sometimes our Sunday can feel disconnected from our other six days in the week. But one of the things that we should be praying for is for God to show us other Christians in our spheres of influence that we might not know are followers of Jesus yet. Uh, When Kristen and I, for instance, moved back uh, to Olathe from Chicago, we made it our goal to get to know uh, all of our neighbors, uh, next-door neighbors around us. And one of the cool things that we found out is that the neighbor right across the street from us uh, were actually elders at Fellowship Olathe, a church right off of K-7. Uh, When I told them that we'd be opening up a new campus on the west side of Olathe, they got really defensive. They said, why? You know, we already have a church here. We're already reaching this area. No, they didn't. They were incredibly excited. They were like, there are too many people over here for our church to reach. We need help. And you know what's really cool is is that since meeting this neighbor of ours, uh, he's now a pastor over at that church, an associate pastor, and he and I are looking forward to once we get the West Campus started on that side of town, partnering together to reach the schools and to reach the people over there. Why? Because we're stronger together than we are apart. You know, one of the best ways to build up your courage to boldly proclaim the hope of the gospel is by first starting to get to know the people that are around you during your week. Get to know who around you is an active Christian by asking. Figure out who's a passive Christian by asking. Find out who isn't a Christian by asking. Now, if you just assume that everyone around you isn't interested in Christianity, well, that's a bad assumption. You'll let your fear of shame get the better of you, and it'll make you ineffective. Overcome that fear, though, instead by getting to know people. And if you want to find or if you find another believer, work together in your sphere of influence to build each other up, even when you're not here on Sundays. We are stronger and more courageous together than we are apart. Now, the second aspect of shame that I want to look at today is embarrassment. Fearful shame has a lot to do with the fear of repercussions. Uh, For instance, Peter is afraid, and rightfully so, that he'd be executed with Jesus. Um, In our kind of day and age here in the United States, I've met Christians, even Christians at this church, uh, who've been told to keep their religion a secret in the workplace because if they make it public, they won't get promoted. Uh, I remember when I was in college, there were a few professors who had a chip on their shoulder and made it harder uh, for Christians to do well on term papers. In these instances, you might be ashamed of the gospel because you're afraid. This is what fearful shame looks like. Embarrassing shame, on the other hand, has less to do with repercussions from the world and more to do with our own personal insecurities. Just like fearful shame, embarrassing shame can keep us from boldly and courageously engaging others with the hope of the gospel. Now, many of us probably have a favorite family sitcom that we like to watch reruns of from time to time. 
Malcolm in the middle, full house, the Jeffersons, the middle, everybody hates Chris, last man standing, you name it. Uh, Kristen knows that my favorite family sitcom is The Goldbergs. You want to put that up there? I love The Goldbergs. Uh, In every episode, it's the year 1980-something, and the main character, Adam Goldberg, recalls the so-called glory days of growing up as a nerdy boy in the 80s. Uh, The show has been running for several seasons, and what makes every episode so memorable are all the awkward family moments. Uh, One of the running gag lines in the Goldbergs uh, is the line, Mom, stop embarrassing me. And of course, each season um, has a poster featuring a different awkward family photo like this one up on the screen. Now, I think most of us can probably remember a few embarrassing photos that we would prefer to keep in a private photo album that is locked up and we never, ever share it with anybody. Uh, I have one such photo that I would hate to have framed on our wall. Now, I couldn't find it, not that I tried to look very hard, otherwise I'd show it with you today, but somewhere floating around social media is an early junior high school photo of Kristen and me at a school dance. Wait, I guess Cody found it. This photo is just the worst. The way the photographer positioned us was super awkward, especially for junior high school students. Uh, The red and gold drapes behind us, you know, are a little over the top. I mean, no one showed up for that dance in a tux or a ballroom gown. Uh, It made it seem like we were going to this grand ball or to the theater, not some poorly decorated gym. Um, And worst of all, my mouth was wide open during the shot. Kristen looks stunning, of course. I look like a doofus. Coming back to the life of Peter, there were probably some moments where he felt like a doofus, too. Yet, I'm glad Peter wasn't so ashamed of these moments as to hide them from us in the Scriptures, because God has really used Peter's life, the embarrassing moments and all, to teach us how to follow Jesus better. One of these embarrassing moments is recorded in Matthew 14. Uh, All of the disciples are on a fishing boat, and it's late at night. Uh, But they're all awake in the middle of the night because a storm has come in, and they're just getting beaten by the waves and the wind. Uh, And then someone approaches them walking on the water. So let's look at what Matthew 14 and verse 26 says. It says there, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, it's already kind of embarrassing at this point for these experienced fishermen to have been afraid of a ghost. It's like a Scooby-Doo moment. Uh, Let alone then to confuse Jesus as a ghost. And part of me wonders if at this point Peter tries to save face in what comes next. I mean, who in their right mind would jump out of a boat into stormy water? Well, you know, someone might do that if they had something to prove. The verses don't tell us, but in addition to trying to prove his faith to Jesus, I think Peter may be trying to prove he wasn't as scared 
as the rest of the disciples on the boat were. Let's see what he says. Uh, If we look at verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Notice Peter says, if it is you, as if he's still uncertain about whether this is Jesus or a ghost. He's heard Jesus' words, but there's still a tone of doubt there. Verse 29, Jesus slash the ghost, it's not certain in Peter's mind yet, said, come. That's it. So if the ghost is telling me, come, I'm probably not coming. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. The brave disciple ended up a very wet disciple that night. You can imagine this may have been pretty embarrassing for Peter. Not only was he afraid of the storm and afraid of the ghost, he confused his master for a ghost. And then he still wasn't sure if his master was really a ghost or not, so he tests the ghost by stepping out into the water, believing his master has that kind of power, and then realizes he's in a storm again, gets frightened, starts to sink, and cries out to be saved. Peter's thought process here has a lot of holes, a lot of holes like somebody trying to save face. Now, Peter may have been embarrassed by this, but at least he didn't have his mom ask Jesus to sit at his right and left hand like James and John did. Jesus, like he usually does, points out the source of stumbling for his followers. In Peter's case, his source of stumbling was doubt. After hearing his master's voice telling the disciples to take heart, Peter doubts and tests his master's words. If it is you, command me, he says. Then, after experiencing his master's power to actually walk on the water, Peter doubts. And he tests his master's power. Afraid of the storm, he begins to sink and cries out, Lord, save me. Just like Peter, do we ever doubt the master's words? Or do we ever doubt the master's power? Are we ever so embarrassed by the words of the gospel that we lose our courage to share the gospel? And then we stay silent. Or are we ever so embarrassed by the power of the gospel that we think it's too fantastical, too far-fetched, too much for a rational thinking friend to believe? And so then we stay silent. I'll confess that for me personally, the shame of embarrassment has probably kept me from sharing the gospel more times than the shame of fear. The shame of embarrassment is the product of our own insecurities. And as Jesus tells Peter, 
the source of this stumbling is our own doubt and unbelief. Even though we may believe God's word, even though we may have experienced God's power like Peter, sin causes us to forget in the moment where we've truly placed our faith, and sin tempts us to find security in the approval of others rather than the approval of Christ. So what is a force multiplier that we can use to help us overcome the shame of embarrassment? Well, we overcome embarrassment by seeking Jesus' approval, not the world's approval. When Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples in Matthew 10, he gives them kind of a boot camp speech. He tells them they're going to be rejected. He tells them they're going to be persecuted. He says they're going to get taken advantage of. And then he tells them they're not going to get the world's approval. But then Jesus reminds his disciples in verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you want to overcome any embarrassment or any insecurity you might have about sharing the hope of the gospel with others, it starts with setting your sights on whose approval matters most in your life. If you seek the world's approval, your friend's approval, your boss's or your family's approval first, then you aren't going to courageously engage others for Jesus. It's just that simple. But if you seek Jesus' approval first, if you seek your Lord and Savior's approval more than anything else in this world, then you are going to pray for moments to take those faith-filled risks to courageously engage others for Jesus Christ. So if we want to overcome our fearful shame, we need to swim together as the church wherever we are. And if we want to overcome our embarrassing shame, we need to strive for Jesus' approval above all. Now, the third and final aspect of shame that we're going to look at is guilt. We might also call this kind of shame dishonor. Uh, the night, we might be ashamed of the gospel because, you know, we're afraid of what might happen to us uh, if we share it. We might also be ashamed of the gospel because we're embarrassed about how it could jeopardize our you know, view in the world. And we might be ashamed of the gospel, though, because we're burdened by some kind of guilt inside of us. Uh, that guilt we carry makes us you know, feel like we're unworthy or hypocritical or dishonoring God when we try to share the gospel with others, so we just don't share it because we're burdened by guilty shame. Believe it or not, Peter experienced this kind of shame, too, in the Bible. It's really remarkable if you think about it. Peter is easily one of the most outspoken, courageous, and bold followers of Jesus. Uh, in the book of Acts, Peter fearlessly leads thousands to faith in Christ through gospel proclamation. But his example in the Bible reminds us that he had to go through so much before he was ready for the future work that Christ was preparing him for. At the end of the book of John, Jesus identifies a shameful 
burdened and guilty conscience that is holding Peter back. It happens to be Peter's earlier denial of Jesus three times. If you look at John 21, verses 15 through 19, it says this, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asks, do you love me? Jesus is not testing Peter's devotion here. Jesus is uncovering Peter's guilt. Peter still felt guilty for what he had done. So much so, the text tells us he was grieved when Jesus uncovered the deep burden buried in his heart. It is in this moment that Peter releases his guilt to Jesus, and then Jesus ends the matter by saying, follow me. Jesus brings Peter back to where it all started. Jesus brings Peter back to his initial call years ago, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Have you ever gotten lost before, only just to start back where you began? This is what happens to Peter, and this is what needs to happen to all of us whenever we're feeling burdened by guilty shame. Start back at the beginning. Jesus and Peter show us that the force multiplier we need to overcome the shame of guilt is a gospel reset. All of us have probably experienced before when our smartphone or when our computer just isn't working right. Uh, some kind of error happens that we can't see, and then it runs slow or it doesn't run at all. Now, nobody would want to keep using a device that has a frozen screen on it, especially when a stalled-out device probably just needs to be restarted and reset. Sometimes, though, we don't courageously engage others with the gospel because our shame causes our spiritual operating system to go into a critical error mode, and we don't reset ourselves because we end up stuck. Jerry Bridges, a Christian author, wrote, Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. The reason we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every day is because whether our guilty shame feels light or heavy from the previous day, we can always benefit from a gospel reset. Do you feel guilty, perhaps, about something that you shouldn't have said? Come to Jesus in prayer and reset yourself through the gospel. 
Do you perhaps feel burdened in your conscience by something you've done wrong? Come to Jesus in prayer and reset yourself through the gospel. Jesus himself is the one who endured the cross, tasted death, victoriously rose from the grave. Jesus is the Savior whose atoning work frees every believer from the shame of fear, shame of embarrassment, and the shame of guilt. The gospel is the good news message that we tell ourselves again and again, and we are called to courageously tell others again and again that God has made a way for forgiveness and renewal for sinners through His own Son. You know, I hope that God has brought some people to mind for you that you could share the gospel with. Maybe you can tell them how Jesus saved you. Maybe you can just show them your favorite Bible verse. Maybe you can just ask them to come to church sometime. If God can use Peter to do this, he can certainly use each and every one of us in this room. As we conclude our message, I want to bring us back to where we started. Uh, Matt opened our sermon um, by reading Romans 1, 15 through 17. Now, our sermon today was less of an exposition of that text and more of an exposition of Peter's life. And that's because I think Peter's life is a visible picture of what it's like for a passionate follower of Jesus Christ to overcome his own shame through the gospel in order to proclaim the gospel. Uh, in this message, we've looked at releasing ourselves from a lot of the things that hold us back from courageous engagement. But I want us to remember Paul's encouraging motivation to propel us forward into courage. Paul writes, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are, who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And what does he say here? He says, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith forth faith, as it, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Where does Paul's eagerness come from? Where does Paul's shameless courage come from? Well, it comes from what the gospel does. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Again, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What should ultimately motivate us to share the gospel with others? Well, it's God's own declaration that He will save people who hear and believe it. You see, our church wants to see more people saved from their sins and shame. I want to see more people saved from their sins and shame. Many of you want to see people saved. We're launching a new campus to see people saved. But if we want to see spiritual revival come to our community, if we want to see more people saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it starts with us being courageous, eager, and unashamed. We've got to overcome anything that would hold us back, and we've got to be all in when we courageously share the good news of Jesus Christ to others. With that, let's pray. Father God, you are wiser 
and more powerful than any of us. And God, we just want to thank you for giving us your word and revealing to us the lives of your faithful servants in your word, like Peter and Paul. God, in the same way they followed your son Jesus and never gave up, God, help us to follow Jesus and never give up. Forgive us, Father, when we've been more afraid of the world than your righteous judgment on sinners who disbelieve. Uh, Forgive us, Father, when we've pursued the world's approval rather than pursuing your Son's approval. Uh, Forgive us, Father, for the burdens we cling to in our conscience that we need to release to Jesus. Uh, God, unite us as a gospel-driven church for a gospel-desperate world. Help us to sense the desperation of perishing people who need to receive the hope of an eternal message as we have received it. God, let our desire to see others saved through your power and grace motivate us to be more courageous than anything. God, bless the labor of your servants as we aspire to launch a new campus for Journey Bible Church. And God, produce through our proclamation of salvation and baptism. Um, God, just we want to see people come to faith in you. Lord, all this we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus and all God's people said, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.